0: Good morning, my name is Doug Payne. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, I welcome you here. Uh, you, you are invited, you are, you are welcomed. Uh, if you feel like you're a sinner and don't belong here, you do belong here because we're, we're all sinners uh, welcomed into God's presence through the, the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now we're gonna be in, a, in a, a text you wouldn't necessarily think of for Easter Sunday. We're gonna be in Exodus Chapter 17. We're, we're in the book of Exodus in our, in our series, and we're just going to continue on, and we're going to see how the book of Exodus maybe relates to the resurrection. Um, do you remember that Christmas carol? I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Uh, I, know, I know it's Easter, but just stay with me. Hopefully this will make sense. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play. How wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Henry Longfellow wrote those words, wrote that poem in uh, 1863, 1864. You'll you'll know it's towards the end of the Civil War. And that poem traces out how his experience, part of his experience in the middle of the poem contradicts the phrase, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. It's, It's like he's saying partly in his poem, my country is at war, Brother is killing brother over slavery or, or state's rights or over liberty, whatever you want to say. But at Christmas, we say, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Why? Well, because a baby was born. His name was Jesus. And in English, that name is Joshua. It means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. He named him. They named him Jesus because he was going to save his people from their sins. So in the festival of the incarnation, we celebrate this baby God coming to earth in the human form. He took on human form. In the festival of the resurrection, we see at the end why he came, to bring peace on earth and goodwill towards men. How would he do that? Well, baby Jesus, meek and mild, held by his mother, wrapped in swaddling clothes, became crucified Jesus, dead and buried, wrapped in grave clothes. That's why we celebrate Good Friday. Good Friday is called Good Friday ironically. How could this be a Good Friday? The most perfect person on earth died. But it was good, because if he had not died, We would not live. So the the way God would bring peace to humanity at war with himself was to send his only son to live and die for sinners, taking on the wrath of God on himself. He went into the tomb a dead man, but he walked out of that tomb alive, robbing death of its sting and the grave of its victory. So this is why we celebrate Easter. Easter the festival of the resurrection. In fact, this is what Christians celebrate every Sunday as we come together. When, when we gather together, we are celebrating that Jesus is alive. He's not dead. God raised him from the dead as a vindication of his work. Now, if, if you are not a Christian or you are having doubts, you, you might be thinking, a lot of good the resurrection did. There's still wars and, and fighting and, sin and hatred. So why should I believe the resurrection? Well, I think you should believe the resurrection because of like what Jess read for us. God's word tells us it's so. Jesus got up from the dead, God raised Jesus from the dead. God's word says it. But you should also believe it because it's historically verifiable. It's a historical fact. If you doubt the resurrection, I invite you to read the historical accounts of it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I would encourage you to read it with a Christian who actually believes this. And and you can be informed, you can have your mind informed about what Christians actually believe from their historical documents, the, the gospels. But another reason to believe the resurrection is how it changes the lives of people. How it changes the lives of God's people. And there's a a hint of it in the story of Exodus 17. It's not necessarily about the resurrection, but it hints towards the resurrection. God is changing people's lives by fighting their enemies. God is changing people's lives by fighting their enemies. The resurrection, the, the, the life of a Christian, so dear Christian, if you're here, your life of fighting sin, sanctification, is an evidence that Jesus is alive. So whoever you are, either Christian or non-Christian, believer or non-believer, theist, atheist, agnostic, you're you're welcome here, and I want you to consider yourself. I want you to consider the life of God's people and, and how God, through the resurrected Jesus, is helping them fight sin and make changes in their lives that can only be explained through his work in them. Is God among us or not? So we're going to start first with God's people, Israel. Just, just a quick reminder, that Old Testament story in the book of Exodus, it's in the first half of the Christian Bible, Genesis, Exodus. Uh, there's some Bibles in the pews, if, if you uh, don't have one, or uh, if you do have one, open it, or if you have it on a device, open it and scroll to Exodus 17. The story of the exit from Egypt, Exodus, is a true story about how God miraculously redeemed his oppressed people from slavery in Egypt. And the reason he did this is that he might be known to the nations as a merciful and just God, mercifully redeeming his people, justly destroying his enemies. And he did this by a demonstration of his power over nature, his power over the human heart, and by symbolizing the death and resurrection of Jesus as they passed through this, the Red Sea. Paul tells us that this was their baptism. This was the baptism into the Red Sea was, was picturing Jesus' death and resurrection as they came out the other side alive and not dead. And after their deliverance through the Red Sea and his provision of bread and his provision of water for his people in the wilderness. Do you remember verse seven? At the end of our episode last week, they ask a question. He provides for them miraculously bread and miraculously water, and they ask, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Is he fighting for us? Is he he for us? Is he with us? Exodus 17, verse eight. At Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. And Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us to go and fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, while Moses, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When, when Moses' hand grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. The Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, indeed, my hand is lifted up toward the Lord's throne. The Lord will be at war with Amalek from generation to generation. I don't have an outline for you, but we're just gonna work through the story and, and make some observations and some points. You might be thinking, after I read, read verse 15, why is God so mad at Amalek? And why, why is he, he gonna blot their memory out from the, the earth? Well, the first thing is an unprovoked attack. So this story in verse eight, we see that, that, that Amalek comes and attacks the people of God, Israel, Amalek is actually a distant cousin of the tribe of Israel. Um, if, if you read in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis, uh, Jacob and Esau were twin brothers to a couple named Isaac and Rebekah. In God's mysterious providence, God chose Jacob and Esau's grandfather, Abraham, to be the father of a new nation that we now know as, as Israel. And he passed on that promise from Abraham to Isaac, Abraham's son after he, uh, when he's nearly 100 years old. He passed on this covenant promise that he would make him a father of many nations, he would give him a land, and those who blessed him would be blessed, and those who cursed him would be cursed. He passed on that from Abraham to Isaac, and then Isaac and Rebekah have twin boys, Esau and Jacob. And God, in his mysterious providence, passes on the promise not to the firstborn Esau, to the second-born, and not-so-nice Jacob. Jacob had his name changed to Israel, and then he had 12 sons called the children of Israel. So those 12 sons constitute the 12 tribes of Israel and the children of Israel. But Esau also had sons and daughters. You can read about it in Genesis 36. And Esau had a son named Eliphaz, Genesis 36, 12, Timnah, a concubine of Esau, Esau's son Eliphaz, bore Amalek to Eliphaz. These are the sons of Esau's wife Adah. So Amalek, Esau's grandson, cousin of Israel, the cousin tribe of Amalek, Amalek saw Israel enslaved to Egypt for 430 years. Now, we don't know exactly everything they knew about the covenant promise of God or not, but we, what we do know is they were enemies. Why? Because Amalek comes unprovoked and attacks them. We, we know that they must have heard of the redeeming power of, of God as he brought them out of Egypt, just like Rahab the harlot in Joshua chapter two. She knew about it, all the nations and the tribes, they knew about it. And yet they come and they attacked Israel unprovoked. Their cousins, their family, and they come and they, they try to impede their promise, progress to the promised land. So instead of getting on Israel's side, good side, they decide they're going to attack them at a weak point in their history. Perhaps they will finish what the Egyptians started. This is an unprovoked attack. And friends, we have enemies too. They're not other people, other countries or nations, not uh, political opponents, none of that, but they are sin. Our, our enemies are our, our sin, our own sin. And God is, as God is fighting, God, God is going to fight for his people and blot out the name of Amalek, sin too is our enemy. It is is fighting against our progress towards the promised land. It is the fighting and triumphing over sin that shows that God is among us. But who can conquer sin on their own? Who can do it? Israel could not conquer Amalek on its own. And yet God calls them to fight against this, this cousin tribe, this, this people that provokes them unattacked. I mean, unprovoked. They attack them unprovoked. So what will God do? How will God win this battle over Amalek? And how will you win your battle over sin? Well, does God defeat Amalek like he did the Egyptians unilaterally? The Israelites crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and when the Egyptian army tried to cross, God God closes the Red Sea over them and defeats them in the waters of the Red Sea in judgment. God does that unilaterally. He does it all by himself. He doesn't need any help from Israel. But now, against Amalek, he calls them to fight against their enemies, So Moses says to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow. They are to be engaged in the battle in verse 9. In this battle, we see that God calls Israel to engage their enemies, but they do not go alone. Moses, God's chosen deliverer, enlists a general called Joshua. His name means Yahweh saves. So Israel goes into the into battle with a captain whose name is pointing to the captain of their salvation, Yahweh. The, the same one that, that defeated their enemies in, in Egypt, they are now called to go and, and, and fight their enemy Amalek. But who will win? Will they or will it be God? So he sends them into battle. But he does not send them without weapons of war. And, and I'm not talking about the swords. They're, swords. They're it's doubtful that Egypt gave them swords. So the, the weapons they had to fight their battle with were probably weapons they collected along the way, which which they probably made themselves in the wilderness. You just imagine a ragtag bunch of uh, of, of Israelites who once were slaves and now are in the wilderness. You know, th- kind of throwing rocks at their enemies or or taking up sticks against the against Amalek. But God gives them their weapons of war, and it's not a sword. Joshua, the, the general, heads into battle with his chosen men. And so Moses says, go choose men. And we probably think Moses uh, or, or Joshua would have, would have chosen men between 20 and 50 and, and put them and sent them into war. So Joshua, being 80 years old, he says, I'm going to go up the hill. You go choose men, fight the battle. I'm going to go up the hill and pray. I, I'm, I'm going to go up and intercede For the warriors, so Moses takes his staff in hand. The staff, by now you remember, becomes an instrument through which God brought judgment on his enemies and salvation for his people. As he raised it out, the plagues would come. As he as he touched the Red Sea, it it parted or it, it went back to the way it was supposed to be. It was a symbol or a banner of the Lord's presence and his activity among them. Is he among us or not was their question at the end of the last episode. Is he among us or not? God provides them their weapons of war. He's gonna be with them in the battle and Moses is gonna be interceding for them as he reaches out to touch the throne of God. The staff of God reminds them and reminds us that God has always been with us. He has never left us or forsaken us. And here is their rallying cry as Moses goes up on the hill and, and stretches his hands out towards God and they see the staff. They rally to the staff. The Lord is my banner. The Lord fights for me. And after the battle, Moses builds an altar with that very name. The Lord is my banner the so lord gives them their weapons of warfare he gives them a prayer moses goes up and 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 we we know that it's prayer because he says uh, he, he says at the end of the episode saying a hand upon the throne of the lord moses symbolically is reaching out and touching god's throne behold our god seated on a throne Come let us adore him. And he's, he's reaching out and he's touching that throne, in, in the throne of the Lord in prayer and interceding for the warriors. And as, as long as his hands are reaching out and touching that throne in prayer, the, the warriors win. But when his hands grow weak and tired, have you ever tried to hold your hands up for a long time? I can barely do it for a couple seconds when we're singing. Right? But if you, if you try to hold them up for, for quite a long time, they grow, they grow weary and weak. And so with Moses, Moses' hands grow weary. And, and when he grows weary and the prayer grows weary, the, the, the fight goes wrong. The, 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 when the mediator is praying on the hills, hands stretch out, touching the throne of the Lord, the people win the battle. But when he's not able to, the people lose. This isn't isn't a story about how how we need to spend all of our days in prayer and more time in prayer, but this is a weapon in our warfare, prayer. And and Moses, the mediator, who is just a reflection of a a greater mediator, a a, a better Moses who, who intercedes for us continually before the throne of grace. He actually sits on the throne of grace and he's the one interceding and he gives us the He gives us the privilege of coming before him in in prayer, mediating between God and man, interceding for us. What are our weapons of warfare? God gives them communion with him. But not just that, he gives gives other people. Is God among us or not? Well, I'm gonna give you prayer to show that I am among you. What, What else might we get to show that you are among us? Moses' hands grew weary and 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 so what Aaron and and her do do is they come around him and they hold his hands up. They put a stone under him so he has somewhere to sit. And then one on one side and one on the other, they both hold his hands up. So he can reach out and touch the throne of grace, the throne of the Lord. Friends, Joshua and Moses are not the saviors of the people. You and your prayer life or you and your accountability partners are not the Savior of yourself or God's people. There's only one Savior. Joshua and Moses' weaknesses remind us that as they fail, as they grow weak, they fail. Moses couldn't save his people because without help he couldn't reach out and touch the altar of God. Joshua couldn't save his people because without the prayers, he he, he would lose. the, The battle was belonging to Amalek and not to them. This points to us, friends, that the Lord alone was the Savior. They were called to fight the battle, but it was God who was going to win the war. It was God who was the Savior, the true captain of their salvation. Joshua and Moses are only pointers To the need for a stronger Savior than themselves. Joshua and Moses would die, and both of them would be buried in a tomb somewhere in or near the promised land. But the true and better Joshua, Jesus, was raised up from the dead. He conquered death because of his perfect life and his willing sacrifice. The empty tomb testifies that he has conquered sin and death, our greatest enemies. The the resurrection testifies that he is conquering sin in us now. And your fight against sin through prayer and and through the help of others and your your help of, of others fighting their sin is a testimony that Jesus actually is alive. So I ask you again, if you don't believe that Jesus has raised from the dead, look at those who are fighting their sin. Look at those in this room. I, I just encourage you to, to talk to people in this room who, who claim Jesus as their Savior and ask them if they think they're perfect. no. Our perfect lives, it, it's not our perfect lives that testify to the resurrection of Jesus. It's our, our lives of fighting against the sin that besets us. And dear Christian, if you have your, your doubts because you're failing in sin, and the same sin over and over again, a, a besetting sin that, that keeps coming back and, 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 and keeps getting you down, It's it's not that you just need to pray more. It's not that you need just one more accountability partner. Brother or sister, you need to look to the captain of your salvation who, who was raised again from the dead. And on this festival of the resurrection, this Easter morning, we cast our eyes to him to fight our battles. We engage in the battle, yes, in our sanctification, and we fight sin. We say no to sin. We say no to our laziness and our lust and our pride and our anger. We say no to those things, and we say no through the power of the resurrected Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 10, says, Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. You received it past. You're standing in the present, and you are, going, you, are, you are saved by it, and you are being saved by it. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, what word is that? And you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, what, what word? For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is, this is the main thing. There are all kinds of issues, theological issues, and and life issues we could bring up, but this is the main thing, the first importance, that Christ died for your sins according to the Scripture, in accordance with the Scriptures. It's true. He was buried. He was really dead. He really died. He didn't just swoon. He didn't just pass out. And that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he really did—he re, re, really was raised again from the dead on the third day. It's—it's it, it's not some sort of conspiracy that the disciples got together and said, oh, let's let's make this thing up, and then we'll get a really great following." No, he actually got up from the dead. The angel. The angel moved away the stone not so Jesus could get out, but so we could get in and verify that this is true. It's true. How do we know? Well, you can go and verify it historically. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, the most of whom are still alive. When Paul wrote this, he said, Go talk to them. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, one, as one untimely born. He appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Oh, but God's grace is even enough for me. I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Friends, if the resurrection is not true, believing in Christianity and, and doing this, this, we're just playing around. It's in vain, it's, we're of most people, we're of most people, miserable. And, and how do you know if God is among you or not? How, how do you know if there will be peace on earth and goodwill towards men? The, the resurrection proves that God is bringing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And there's a certain group of people called the church who are not perfect in any way. Don't look at Christians for their perfection. Look at them for what they're fighting against, their sin. You know, it was was Christians who who rose up to fight against slavery in in, in abolition times. William Wilberforce was the champion of it. Yes, did Christians participate in in slavery? Yes, but it it was also the power of the gospel that overcame it. Fighting against sin is an evidence of the resurrection, for Christ's resurrection. And it's not just that he's resurrected in our hearts. It's not just, you know, it really helps me to believe that he's alive in my heart. It's that he actually rose again in time and space, in history. And one of the evidences for it is that he's changing us. So how do you know God's among us if he's bringing peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannons thundered in the south, and with the sound, the carols drowned, on earth, goodwill towards men. But a baby came. And a baby became a man. And the man became the savior of the world. The savior of the world died, was buried, was raised three days later. Then the bells, more loud, pealed, more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail. The right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Friends, the festival of the resurrection, Easter, answers the question, is God among us or not? Will there be peace on earth or not? Will there be goodwill towards men or not? Because Jesus is raised from the dead, you can have peace with him. You can have peace with God. And the means by which you have peace with God is faith. It's not the size of your faith or the, uh, or it's, it's not the amount of your faith or the fervor of your faith. It's the object of your faith. So what he tells you to do is repent of your sins and trust in Christ. Turn away from it. Just talk, you can talk to him even right now. Lord Jesus, I, I trust you and, and you alone. Please forgive me of my sins. It's that kind of prayer that makes the the festival of the resurrection and Easter really matter. It's applied to you you when you receive Jesus through faith in his gospel. Friends, the festival of the resurrection tells you, dear Christian, you can fight sin. God is really among you. And because he's raised from the dead, you truly will win in the end. Let's pray.